Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jeff Harold. He is co-CEO and COO at Garden Remedies. We're going to talk to him about the work they're doing in cannabis. We're going to talk to him about their growing business. We're going to talk a little bit about culture. I'm fascinated by these topics as strategic coach. I think one of the biggest challenges as businesses grow and scale is how do you find people? How do you build a culture? And you know, how do you make the things that are so magical at an early stage of a company continue to be magical as the company grows and scales? Uh, obviously, businesses in the cannabis space are going through a lot of that, a lot of growth, uh, a lot of rapid growth. And often that can be a challenge and getting that right can be a big strategic advantage. So excited to have this conversation with that. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So before we dig into Garden Remedies and what you guys are doing today, give us a little bit of the background. What was your professional experience? How did cannabis come about? Give us the story. Yeah, so I've been in uh, been in it for about four years now at this point. Um, prior to that, I was actually a Navy vet, so I spent some time in the Navy mm-hmm. and then got out. And, and really, my career was focused on like supply chain operations management, um, mostly in the, the food manufacturing field. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually transfers pretty well over to the to the cannabis industry, yeah. um, considering you know we're a vertical operation with you know full seed to sale 
Joe? Yeah, so essentially I started at Garden Remedies as a supply chain manager about four years ago. Year, year into it was promoted to COO. And then as of about three months, technically, I'm now co-CEO, COO of the, of the company. That's great. Yeah, so that, that's a lot of change, a lot of growth. I'm curious what you've been able to kind of borrow, transfer from your experience you know, as a veteran in the military and then the kind of food side. What transferred well and what didn't transfer so well as you got into cannabis? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that we push through our organization is a big Navy mentality of accept risk when benefit outweighs the cost. Uh, I think especially in an industry that's growing this rapidly, you're never going to do everything perfect. So you have to take some risk and you have to accept that it's going to exist. And I actually find a lot of ways sitting on the sidelines is more hurtful than actually failing um, just because the industry is evolving so quickly. Yeah, I think that that risk side, I always say, if you don't like risk, don't start a business. (laughs) It is is chock full of risk and it really becomes this art of being able to properly sort of assess the risk and then figuring out, okay, what's what's the potential reward and and how do we either decrease the risk or increase the reward to make better business decisions and and, uh, take better actions? Yeah, no, definitely. And and then to further your question, I think from a food manufacturing, you know, it's all about compliance, which is a lot in our industry. Uh Um, So a lot of that stuff very transferable, you know, just like dealing with the FDA or local boards of health, uh, you're kind of dealing the same in the cannabis industry. Yeah. yeah. So give us a story of uh, Garden Remedies. What was the history of the company? And then what have you been doing as you've gotten involved? Yeah. So, uh, you know, founded actually in 2013 as a med only in, in Massachusetts by uh, our prior CEO, Dr. Karen Casey. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is a board certified anesthesiologist that you know, really got out and saw the industry and, and thought there would be ways to professionalize it um, and, you know, got involved in advocacy and, and things like that in Massachusetts, um, eventually kind of building it into what it is today. So so when I started, we had one retail store in, in Newton, Massachusetts that was med only. It actually opened the month that REC was approved in the state. It took took a really long time. Um, yeah. The eighth, eighth licensed uh, group in the state. Since then, we've you know we've grown. We have three stores, full vertical. We're at you know over two hundred employees at this point. Wow, that's a, yeah, that's a lot of growth. What have been some of the big challenges for you as you've seen the company grow? Yeah, I think you know what what you hear a lot about is anytime you you know you triple in size, kind of everything breaks and you have to kind of reinvent yourself. And we've done that you know four times since I've. I've been with the company, so it's definitely a, a huge challenge for us. And I think you can't be afraid of change because it's going to happen. So we try to build our culture and our team around that. Uh, what have been some of the changes? I mean, you mentioned that you, you know, Massachusetts, you know, started as med and is now adult use. And I remember there was it took some time to roll out the adult use. There was a bit of a, a process and um, you know phases to it. How did that play out for you? Yeah, I mean, I think everything took you know twice as much time and 10 times as much money, um, which is definitely a struggle, particularly in Massachusetts, because when we were first, uh, you know, the law from the medical side was you had to be a nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. So it made it very difficult to get access to any capital if you weren't able to exchange equity. And we ended up having to raise a a lot of debt that was at a pretty high interest rate. Mm -hmm. Luckily, when they they allowed for adult use, they, you know, changed the rules so we could convert to a for-profit entity. And it's kind of changed that world for us. But we have, you know, we've gone through three funding rounds, continuing to expand in Massachusetts, dealing with the cities and towns is a struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, So really getting those local approvals was a lot. 
But now, you know, you're only allowed three stores and we have our three. So it's kind of nice to be uh, done with that part of the yeah. business. And, and settle. You're kind of at your cap. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what were the issues at the local level? Like, what what were the concerns? How did you go about addressing them? How did the process play out? I think that's the one thing people don't realize in, in cannabis is that yeah, I mean, a state can pass you know legislation to say that we're allowing you know adult use cannabis, but you know at the end of the day, they they let local municipalities decide you know exactly if they're if they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. Was your experience about the concerns and how do you get through them? Yeah, I think uh, varies by by city and or town. I think some are more open, some are less. But it was incredibly difficult. Take Newton, for instance, which was our home store. Uh, we were open for you know almost two years before we ever went from med to adult use, and it was a huge struggle. We had uh, a, you know fifty, I want to say fifty-one percent of Massachusetts voted to approve adult use cannabis. But once we were going after our license in Newton, they actually put on the ballot to revote just in Newton to ban or approve. So it was a pretty, <laughs> really? yeah, we had to go back and kind of rehash the same conversation, <laughs> which ended up after, you know, a year of doing that and the same exact result. This is like when I, we were children playing games and stuff and someone would call it do-over. <laughs> like, yeah. right. No, no, do-over, <laughs> revote. Yeah, so that's definitely been a struggle. And, and to be honest, I think over, you know, about 50% of the towns in Massachusetts have voted to ban sales in general. So it's you're starting with a pretty small uh, opportunity and, and then, uh, you know, further kind of sorting it down. What were the issues? I mean, why, why I guess from, from your point of view and, and what you know, what, what were the reasons or what was the impetus to ban cannabis in a particular township? I think a lot, it's, you know, not in my backyard. I think a lot of people didn't have a problem with saying, yes, we should legalize cannabis. But when they realized, hey, there's going to be one in my town, I'm not really okay with that. You know, and I, I think we've done a lot to prove that, you know, those people wrong, but there still is. I mean, every time we go back to renew a license or to get something changed, you're, you're still fighting the debate of should cannabis be legal or not. Not it's legal. We're following the rules, you know. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Is there anything that, that you've done to address those concerns or is there anything you had to do in terms of changing operations or, you know, stores, retail, exteriors, you know, policies, things like that, that addresses? Or this was just a pretty straight up and down, like, do we do we want to have cannabis in our municipality or not? Yeah, I mean, I think we took a different approach, but, you know, by different locations. Like in Newton, for instance, we have an appointment-only operation, so you have to make an appointment in order to do a sale, whereas our other two stores don't, don't require that. I'd say that's a net negative on our business, just because... I think oh, most yeah. people don't realize that it's incredibly inefficient. People show up before or after their appointment times. They have to like show confirmations. It actually slows down the process, which is unfortunate. But we're going to try to change that this year. We're going to go and, and finally say, look, we've been operating for four years. Um, there haven't been any issues. It's time for us to, to kind of move on from that. Um, and what do you think? Is it going to pass? We'll see. It's still early. <laughs> you know, it's still, I, I'm sure we'll be rehashing the debate oh, yeah. on whether, you know, cannabis is legal or, or not, um, yeah. unfortunately. You know, and I think um, it's it's crazy to me because when I go to the store to, to, to meet with the team or something, you just realize the, the differences in, in, in the, the community that are, you know, using the store, right? Like it's, you got a, a 21-year-old college student, and, you know, behind a 99-year-old med patient. It's uh, unbelievable. Yeah. I guess strategically, how do you think about that? I mean, because I think it is kind of a fascinating situation in cannabis right now where we've got, you know, some people who are, 
younger, more kind of traditional pot culture kind of users. Then you've got more medical users, you know, with that from a sort of retail experience point of view in terms of, you know, helping people select products, creating the experience for people. Give me a little insights there. Yeah, I mean, we, we try to, to divide as much as possible, I'd say. Like, you, you know, we'd have separate places in the store for a med patient versus an adult use customer just because their needs and, and products are different. And also, you know, a lot of, you know, you do online pickup versus having an actual consultation. You kind of create a lot of different avenues for the customer to get to where they need to be. Um, but, but also, you know, I think we're, we're unique in Massachusetts that we are a retailer, but we're also like a wholesale product company. So really our, our brand is that, you know, we're, we're trying to get the live your best life. You know, we've grown in super soil. It's kind of a different approach and it's all rooted back to Dr. Casey's founding of the business and wanting to just be professional and taking it to the next level in terms of quality and, and professionalism. Yeah, so t- tell me more about that. I mean, so what when you're focused on kind of professionalism and quality, what does that mean in terms of how you cultivate, how you process, you know, how you package, things like that? What does it mean you focus on in that in that kind of integration of the product development? Yeah, I think if anyone, you know, ever came out and took a tour of our, you know, our main cultivation processing facility, you know, you'd walk through the doors and kind of be immediately impressed. I think um you know, we were doing fundraise rounds in the past and things like that and we'd give tours. And, and I honestly think everyone was expecting to show up to a couple of guys with Birkenstocks and, mm-hmm. and tie-dye t-shirts on kind of standing in a warehouse where it's in, incredibly different. You know, we have, you know, our, our head of our laboratories, you know, spent time studying medicinal plants in China prior to doing this job. It's a clean environment with air showers and, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the operation that, that we built. And it is just much more professional. And a lot of that just has to do with being able to create a consistent product, which is difficult considering it's a live ingredient, right? Um, yeah. There's a lot that goes into it, and, and minor fluctuations can make a lot of variation in your end product. And what have you had to change over time? You know, both as you've kind of learned to improve the process, but also as the process scaled. I, I think it's one thing to you know have a couple thousand square feet of cultivation and and make it all work really really well, but then you know as that operation scales, it, it, new problems, new challenges get introduced. Give us a little story there. Yeah, I mean, I think from a from a practical side, we've built out our facility in phases. So we're on phase five right now. Um, and we kind of take learnings from each of them and continue to upgrade and, and change whether it's technology or, you know, processes, things, even as simple as like wheels on tables or the lights we use or things like that. But more so than that, it's like the people side of the business. I think early on when you're in a startup mentality, everybody wears every hat. But when you scale up to, you know, 220 employees, you can't wear every hat anymore. So we really had to do a lot to focus on like people development and our hiring practices and, you know, upward mobility and things like that. Yeah. Any learnings there? I mean, you know, obviously a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of industries have kind of figured out, you know, how to recruit, how to train, how to onboard, how to, you know, do learning and development. What pieces have you kind of figured out that worked well for you and work well for cannabis and what pieces don't work so well? Yeah, well, I, I think the great thing is, is that this industry has really amazing people. They're all super passionate. You know, we have people that work on problems over the weekend with their with their coworkers who are also their roommates or friends or things like that, that you just don't see in a lot of a lot of different industries. It's just so much passion, which makes my job a lot easier. 
you know, and the, you know, I worked in some union environments and things like that in the past, and it's just oh, a totally yeah. different, uh, totally different mentality. So, so I think that that is definitely helpful. I think you know you have to continue to show show the team how they can move up, move up in the organization. Just because, particularly for us, like we were the eighth dispensary to open in the state, and now there's over a hundred. Um, yeah. So, if you look at potentials for poaching or things like that, where we've our team is one of the most experienced in the mass, you know, in the mass environment. And, you know, we have to continue to show them that they can advance. Otherwise, they're going to move on, which which is not something we want to do. So we rolled out this year something that we call our culture tea, which is these nine kind of cultural ingredients that we use for our, our people. And we base, you know, our recruiting on that, our review process. We also challenge our team to challenge us if they don't feel like the senior management team is living up to those nine those nine ingredients. And you know, they're they're things that you see in the in varying industries like you know, move fast and break things is a big one we talk about a lot. Radical honesty is one that that we, you know, we really push for and kind of going down the list. Yeah. Well, how do you, so I'm a big fan of values and, you know, having having values that help define who you are and who you're not and help really drive the advancements and evolution of the company. But how do they come into practice? Like when, when you say, you know, these are things that you really push. Like, what are the mechanisms, policies, procedures, things that you have in place to actually make that true or actually yeah. get that feedback? Yes. Yeah, so, so we we roll it out everywhere in the organization, right? So if you're if there's these nine cultural ingredients, like if you're in an interview, you're going to be asked interview questions that might tie to the, one of those nine ingredients. If you're going to get your quarterly review, it's going to be based on, did you treat people first this quarter? And if you did, what are those examples? And, and the senior management team also goes out to each site on a, you know, twice a quarter and kind of speaks about the values and, and, and gives, uh, so like I'll go to each location and bring two managers from other areas of the business and they come and talk about how they're applying these nine things to their areas. So people can kind of pick up ideas and concepts and continue to build on it. And it's, it's actually been pretty exciting to see people start to use the lingo and um, integrate it into their decision making and, and things like that. Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges that I find with companies as they grow in scale is for leadership to get real sort of honest information from what's going on really on the you know on the front lines right as a company scales yeah. you, you bring more and more layers in that means you know a senior leadership is more and more re- removed from the day to day like what are some things that you're doing to make sure that you're still getting good kind of raw data raw information about really what's happening on the floor yeah i mean we've had some scenarios like i'll never forget you know i had a one, one of these uh, a, a guy that worked in cultivation that had been with us since you know very early in the company, and he left for a, a position at a different company for the same pay, which was ter- <laughs> which was terrifying. Oh, to me, that's terrible! Right? Yeah, because it's like what uh, what's really going on here, and and why did that happen? Because you know I we do you know studies and and measure people and and their promotional op- advancement opportunities and things like that. And he was high up on the list of being ready to move up in the company but decided to move on. So what we did as a management team is we, we sat down with literally every single person in cultivation and had a listening session and said, tell us what you're seeing on the floor. Be open and honest. The door's, the door's closed. Everything stays in this room. You're not going to be punished for anything that you tell us. Yeah. And we got a lot of really great feedback on that. And I think the first time is good, but what we've learned is the more frequently you do it, the more people yeah. are willing to open up to you and give you real honest, like, you know, 
corrective actions or, or, or the things that, yeah. you know, they might be afraid to say when their managers in the room and things like that. Yeah. And in terms of kind of training folks and skill development, things like that, what are the things that you've learned or things that you've had to kind of be more intentional about as you've grown and scaled the business? I think standardization has is, is been huge for us because, you know, back when you had four growers, they all knew how to do everything. Whereas now we have specific, you know, plant touching roles and, and the same in retail, right? There's different layers that there, there didn't used to be. So I think we, we, we tried to rely on on-the-job training for as long as we could. And, and now we're at the point where we really have to take a step back and, and standardize it and a company on the job with classroom and, you know, real skill development. Yeah. And any, um, in terms of systems to actually make that happen, I mean, I, I know, you know, in, in these large companies, they have all sorts of, you know, learning platforms and, you know, the modules and tracking and, you know, the, the technology kind of driving all these things. Have you found that this is still something you can kind of do, you know, with pen and paper or is this, have you moved to any kind of particular system to kind of track this stuff? I think, uh, I think we're learning that, right? Like, I think yeah. we try to do as much as we can with your, you know, your typical like Microsoft suite and things like that. And whereas now we're, we're definitely, you know, doing things more standard. We're bringing technology in. I think the kind of COVID era kind of forced mm-hmm. a lot of that on us as well, right? We can't sit down in a classroom or do one-on-one coaching as much as we used to be able to. So we are, you know, we're recording a lot more videos. We have formal documentation of how do you get from one step to the other, a big part of what we do as well is if, you, if you're going to move from a cultivator to a manager or to a lead, you're actually going to have a peer review panel. You're actually going to have a peer review panel. So they're going to sit down with you and say and quiz you and question you on those topics. And then you get a you know, recommendation from that panel and, and receive a promotion if it makes sense. Yeah, so I like that kind of idea of kind of involving peers in the process, at least for feedback and kind of evaluation process. Yeah, it's transparency, right? Like yeah. I think people, people when they get passed up for a role, they really just want to know if, why. Yeah, um, and I think that you know, creating that transparency is, is helpful. Yeah. Um, in terms of performance management, I, I'm curious how kind of how you're approaching that because I think that's another challenge that I see as company scale is you know when you're 15, 20, 30 people, it's pretty easy to see how people are doing and you know giving feedback and things like that. But as you get bigger. Like how, how do you kind of define roles? How do you define what success looks like? How do you evaluate people? How do you give people feedback? What has that process been like? Yeah, I mean, well, as of this year, we really brought the, that cultural tea thing into the performance review process and their specific measures. Um, we try to do it on a, you know, a, a sit down on a quarterly basis, but it doesn't mean that conversations don't happen in between then. And as we've kind of scaled up, we've really tried to push these reviews as far down as possible. You know, you don't need a vice president of cultivation to give everyone the review. We have several layers of management now. Um, and that's actually helped from a skill set development for those managers as well. So it's been exciting to exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of leadership, I mean, I, I think, you know, as, as the company scales or as, as you grow, the need for you know leadership development and management skills you know becomes a huge challenge and and I think certainly in the cannabis industry where we already have somewhat of a, a talent dearth you know in terms of you know there's just not a lot of people with good cannabis experience you know figuring out how to build cannabis experience but also leadership experience how, how have you approached that or how have you seen kind of the leadership side of that versus the skill side of that yeah I think we take much more of like the the old school Southwest Airlines approach is like find the person that's the right cultural fit and we can teach mm-hmm. them a lot of the, the skills 
Um, so when we're looking for retail associates or cultivators or, or packagers or any of them, we try to find someone that will fit in the department first. And then we'll, we, we'll go through and teach them how to be a, you know, a cultivator. I, I tell you, our cultivation management team prefers that. Um, just because I think if you're if you're experienced cultivating with a different company or at home, yeah. circumstances it doesn't necessarily transfer. So they'd rather be able to teach you our way, and as long as you fit within the you know the culture and the team. Yeah. In terms of recruiting, I mean, uh, what have you found that's worked particularly well, and and you know finding people that do have cultural fit, and any process that you use in the interviewing and recruiting process? Yeah, I mean, back, back to the point about people being passionate about this industry, it's, it's so unique. You know, we'll post a job and overnight we'll have 100 applicants. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult and, and screening becomes important. You know, we, we tried to do it, kind of fly by the seat of your pants for a while. But uh, earlier this year, we actually hired a full-time recruiter yeah. on our staff to just help with that stuff. So, you know, she does the typical, sits down with the hiring manager, figures out what they're looking for, and then goes out and does some screenings. And once we narrow it down, the managers kind of get involved from there. Yeah. And where, I guess strategically, as you look at the market here, what what has been your kind of niche or position? Like, how have you differentiated yourself from, you know, other cannabis companies in Massachusetts? Is there any kind of angles, products, you know, experience that you're trying to provide? Like, what have been the factors that you really focus on to differentiate? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things, even outside of the Massachusetts piece, is that like we've really just been focused on Massachusetts. I think there's a lot of companies that are getting distracted and, and going all over the place. Where we looked at, oh, yeah. it and said, look, Massachusetts could be a two billion dollar market on its own. Like, let's not lose sight of that and get distracted. So we've actually laser focused on just that, and we're paying a lot of attention to just our different revenue streams. Like, a big goal of ours this year and going forward is to get access to our products to everyone in Massachusetts. Whereas before it was like much more local. Now we're a, we're a bigger wholesaler. We're selling to other dispensaries. More dispensaries are coming online that don't have vertical integration. So it's mm-hmm. changing the market. And then, you know, we're looking forward at this year that, that we, we founded a partnership to get into the home delivery part of the business. So we're excited to see where that goes. And it's all about kind of expanding that brand. So it's, you know, anyone has access to it in Massachusetts if they want it. And how do you, I mean, I guess operationally, how do you kind of manage parts of the operation that are feeding your own dispensaries versus parts of the operation that are wholesale versus ones that are looking at delivery? I mean, that, you know, these all have, you know, slightly different nuances and needs and kind of dynamics to them. How do you kind of make sure that you're kind of taking advantage of similarities, but also not, you know, but making sure that you're approaching each one to the best of its best of your ability to service that particular line? I'd say that's another one of those examples of, you know, every time you triple in size, everything breaks and you have to reinvent yourself. Because yeah. um, we have done that so many times. And, and I think back to when we just started, like the only data we had was the sales from the day before, right? So it yeah. was as simple as I sold 10 of these yesterday. Well, let's go back there and make 10 more and, and get them back out there. Where now it's totally different. It's way more complex where it's almost like, We've separated out our retail business from our our manufacturing side so that we're supplying a a retail store, whether it's our own or a a different customer or or something like that. And just kind of we're planning based on that. Obviously, we're trying to get the same insights into their sales so we can, you know, build back just like we would our own dispensary. And I'd say it's a it's a value add of ours for for a lot of these stores because we are a retailer as well, right? So we can tell you which products are going to move based on our own experience 
and, and do a better job forecasting where if you were just to open your doors tomorrow and, and take your best guess. Yeah, it seems like it's such a challenge right now in cannabis to do any kind of forecasting and you know demand you know modeling. It, just because the, the market's growing so quickly, obviously you know COVID has thrown everything sideways, <laughs> so that that changed everything. How I guess is there any kind of insights, technology, strategies that you're using to really kind of help figure out how do you forecast and do you know production planning and supply planning? I think you know to that to that point. The first month that I started, we did thirty three thousand in revenue. And uh, last week we did 1.2 million. Yeah. <laughs> Think about like the the differences in scale that we've gone through. It's, yeah. uh, it's pretty crazy to think about. And, and unfortunately, like the tech, I, I think in this industry is kind of lagging behind. That you know, we have a lot of systems that don't talk to each other, and yeah. the the material planning side is probably one of the biggest gaps right now. There's just not a lot out there. You know, there's there's been such a focus on seat to sale tracking from like a compliance perspective, and little attention has been paid paid to like the you know material planning and forecasting and things like that. It's definitely a need. So if you if you weren't working uh, Garden Remedies, would you be out developing some technology to do this? Maybe, right? I think there, there's plenty of plenty of opportunities, but I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime. <laughs> you got a lot of work to, to do here still. Yeah. That's for sure. I'm just curious, as uh, obviously your role has changed and expanded quite a bit as the company has as well. What are some of the personal learnings that you've had as a leader, things you need to do differently, kind of mindset shifts, you know, habit shifts? What would give us some insights for you? Yeah, I mean, I think... It, for, for me in particular, like with such a great talent of, uh, you know, people in the company, I've been able to kind of sit back and just support them more than anything. And that's been a different role for me. I feel like in the past, I've been more in like the turnaround field where it's like you have to almost micromanage in the beginning. We're here. It's the opposite. Like the, everyone just shows up to work. They do a great job and, and they come to you when they need something from you. So it's all about trying to, to look ahead and, and try to forecast what those needs are going to be and just get them the resources because it is in today's industry if, if they could pack more grow more sell more <laughs> it's going to happen so you just got to get them everything they can and push down all those bottlenecks so nothing gets in their way yeah break down obstacles but one of the most important roles of management uh, good if people want to find out more about you about garden remedies what's the best way to get that information yeah so our website's gardenremedies.com and you can email me at jeffrey h at gardenremedies.com great i'll make sure the links are in the show notes here jeff this has been a pleasure thank you so much for taking the time today thank you take care That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.